Hold on to your back clappers. It's the Michael Welch podcast. I've been terribly ill for the past couple of weeks, so I do apologize that I've spoken no words into your ear holes for the past couple of weeks. But let's talk a little sports ball. College basketball starting. NBA has started. The NFL is halfway through. And this week's Week 11 College Football Watch Guide as we head into the home stretch here in the last month of the regular season. All my blessings, all my blessings. Alright, Mucinex willing here. I have clear pathways for the show. Here we go now. Last week, exciting games in the college football world, but not a lot of big shakeup at the top. Now, we had the first college football official rankings out. Generally, those tend to then lead the AP votes, and they kind of match at least through the top section for the rest of the regular season, and um, it was kind of go hand in hand. However, after uh, Ohio State popped up at number one, and not a lot of changes here after the game results, the AP poll did not follow the college football playoffs. So now you kind of have to wonder if it's going to go the other way, and maybe the playoff committee starts to take a look and um, follow what the AP poll was doing a little bit. Now, you have to take some certain evaluations into place when uh, looking at these games. You know, eyeball tests will tell you Michigan's one of the best teams in the country but hasn't played anyone this this at this point in the season. And uh, Ohio State, Georgia, uh, Washington, and of course, uh, the other undefeated team up there, Florida State, have all played at least a couple reasonable teams on the schedule so far to test their strength to some extent. So does that mean Michigan's going to be put fifth place? Um, no, uh, they're not, quite frankly. So when these committees asked, you know, why is Ohio State number one? And then no talking head says Ohio State's actually the best team in the country. They just have the best resume. And then Florida State, which arguably has some better wins than Georgia, but is ranked behind them. Uh, you kind of just sort of, the reasoning kind of goes out the window. Which team looks the best moving forward and has proved something a little bit with the games they've won? It's kind of a mix. You're never just going to be have the perfect combination of both right now. That's why you play the games. I mean, Ohio State is number one in the playoff committee rankings right, right now, and no one thinks they're actually number one. And Michigan then accordingly is not ranked number five, despite the, the weakest quality of schedule amongst the five power five undefeated teams. So you could say they don't follow their own rules, but also it's kind of a free for all is the point. And obviously the AP polls got their own thing going on. They've still got Georgia one and Michigan number two, which is irrelevant to any games either team has played so far this season, as that's how they started the year. Michigan, uh, excuse me, Ohio State's then three, Florida State four, and Washington five. So the AP poll, which is notoriously contested by those that really watch college football versus those that sometimes don't watch it yet have AP votes, the coaches and folks involved in that, or the, the uh, writers, I should say, um, rate Ohio State lower through the eye test, obviously. Anyways, the, uh, so last week's games, week 10, big matchups and not as big results. 
Now, Ohio State, man, 19-point winners over Rutgers. They needed a pick six that went back 93 yards, preventing Rutgers from at least attempting a field goal and putting seven points on the board for themselves. They needed a turnover on downs in Rutgers territory that they were able to red zone territory inside the 20 to convert into a touchdown as well late. So that was two kind of not quite gimme touchdowns, but certainly helped the situation. And uh, Rutgers defense is good, caused problems for Ohio State. And it was really the run game and Travion Henderson that uh, was able to produce for them as the receivers kind of dried up there and disappeared and the ground game got it done for them. But it was not an impressive win there against Rutgers who got into the red zone three times and scored zero touchdowns. So yeah, just working the margins there. Rutgers had an opportunity still to make that game closer if they were a little bit better offensive team and uh, just couldn't couldn't get it done. So doesn't uh, inspire a lot more faith in the struggles that Ohio State has had in general there on the offensive side of the football now, Georgia came in and ranked number two, Missouri number 12 on the road here in Bulldog country. And I got to tell you, coming out, you don't really think less of Georgia. You think more of Missouri. And I kind of think these two teams aren't that far apart. Again, no Brock, uh, Brock Bowers, Brock Hours, no tight end there for uh, Georgia and Missouri on the road. So, you know, one disadvantage for Georgia, one disadvantage for Missouri, and a nine-point difference in this one, 30-21. to 21. Missouri had a critical uh, turnover that turned into a touchdown for Georgia, and then late in the game driving, trying to score uh, Missouri through a, uh, a bad pick by uh, Brady Cook. His receiver just kind of got lost on the route, not really helping him out, and the ball sailed too high. It was picked off to end Missouri's chances. However, uh, Georgia had to settle for a field goal late in this one to push the lead to nine as Missouri was able to get a stop, and they were very much in this ball game. It was 10-10 at the half. Georgia able to get a couple of scores there, uh, one of them defensive uh, in the third quarter. But these two teams pretty damn close and just a great job by Missouri hanging in here again Georgia I'm not comparing them to past years I know folks like to do that this team is not much different when you put them in a mixed bag right now with Washington Oregon Michigan Ohio State Florida State all of these teams do have their weaknesses and their strengths there's no top team right now it's going to be very interesting in these last few weeks and certainly heading into the playoffs. If you feel strongly about one of these teams over the others and you're a betting person and you're like, hey, I want to put a couple bucks down on one of these teams that has the longest odds and maybe a favorable schedule to win out the rest of the way to make the playoffs win the championship, then you might as well throw some money down because none of these teams are really that much different, I don't think. Carson Beck finished with another solid performance, hasn't really had a, a bad game. Uh, Georgia was 6-for-13 on third down here, didn't turn the ball over at all. Uh, Mizzou, on the other hand, two turnovers. Again, those are literally the difference in the game. There were two critical turnovers to end the game and to, to cause a, a, a touchdown. 5-for-13 on third down, 4.4 yards per carry, not the same Georgia defense that... Uh, 
we expect from years previous. Again, not comparing. 7.1 yards per passing attempt. And um, you can move the ball here. You can do some things. Uh, you actually have to slow down Carson Beck a little bit. And um, they're gettable. They're gettable. Missouri finishes out the season here. Tennessee and Florida at home at uh, Arkansas to finish it up. Um, bowl game certainly as well. This team can win 10 games. And this is a good, good football team. Georgia has got Old Miss at Tennessee and at Georgia Tech coming up here on the slate. Still some good football teams here. Of course, we still expect them to go undefeated. Number three, Michigan, 41-13 to 13 against Purdue. Took a minute to get good. They're up 17-0 at the end of the first quarter. Still seemed like it took them a second to really get going and uh, polish off the Boilermakers here with two touchdowns in the fourth, um, but they were able to eventually get going there. Not the same ground game as years previous. 5.6 yards per carry last year, 4.6 this one. Again, for folks watching, that's uh, known already. And I hope they're able to get that going to really uh, stay in high gear against some of the better teams here. Penn State this week, Ohio State in a couple. If they make it to the playoffs uh, against some of the better teams as well, it's just not quite the same there. Blake Corum had three touchdowns in this game at 2.9 yards per carry on 15 attempts. That's not great. Now, they are running a significantly less percentage of the time. I trust in J.J. McCarthy, of course, 37 tosses in this game for 335 yards. Still Ronan Wilson on the offense, nine grabs for 143 in the defense, uh, doing a pretty good job. But uh, Purdue got after him pretty good, three sacks, five tackles for losses. Uh, so Michigan, again, the offensive line doesn't quite seem to be what it was last year as a complete unit. So they've got some problems possibly on the peripheral as well as all these top teams do. Number four, Florida State struggled a bit at Pittsburgh. They did win 24-7. to but it was sure a slog for quite a while and not quite as impressive a score as you'd usually expect. Florida State, though, struggled with a number of teams this year already. Now, they are 9-0, and of course, 7-0 and in the ACC. But some of these games, I mean, a two-point win over Boston College on the road, which looks like a good team right now looking for a bowl, bowl game. And, um, you know, a 20-something point win over Wake Forest on the road. 34 to 24 was the win at Clemson. So every time they're on the road, perhaps they're not as impressive as expected. Now they finished the season home against Miami, home against North Alabama. I don't even know what they are. Horses, cougars, some other kind of mammal. And then they finish at Florida. They're going to be expected to win by double digits in all of these games. However, problems away from home. That last game of the season against Florida could be a big whopper of a game. Washington stayed undefeated at the Coliseum. 52-42 to was the final there. Washington scored the difference making 10 points in the fourth quarter. It was tied heading into the final frame. Caleb Williams 312 yards passing and three touchdowns. He also scrambled for a touchdown as well. Michael Penix, 256 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Four touchdowns for Dylan Johnson, 256 yards, 9.8 yards per carry on 26 of them for the star running back there. He was the story on offense for Washington. And 
USC just falling apart, lost three of four. Of course, the big story, the defense is still a problem. Not a big surprise to anyone. And Lincoln Riley's team falling out of the top 25 for the first time in his two years there at USC. They have a road game to Oregon and a home game against UCLA left to go. It's going to be tough skiing for them to close out the season here. Oregon smashed California 63-19, to four touchdowns, 386 yards passing for Bo Nix, who will continue to get Heisman buzz as well. And did he run for a touchdown? He ran for two touchdowns as well, so six total touchdowns for him. Texas and Kansas State was also a ranked battle. Now, Texas really screwed around here. They're up 17-7 to at the half and allowed Kansas State to ultimately outscore them 16-3 to in the fourth frame to push the game into overtime, um, just turnovers and unable to, to push the offense in the second half for the Texas Longhorns. And overtime, Texas was able to kick a field goal and hold uh, Kansas State to a fourth and goal inside the 10-yard line. I think they're about the 8-yard line. And rather than kick a field goal to force double overtime, Kansas State went for it and did not get it. Where were they? They're at the 4-yard line. Seemed a little bit too far away after having three opportunities already. Seemed like a bit of a mistake. The play fell apart, and uh, they ended up going backwards. So just a poor play call. Poor job there. Will Howard at 327 yards, four touchdowns. No sacks for the Kansas State Wildcats. Um, Malik Murphy just did a great job helping him out. Two picks, 248 yards, a touchdown passing, 230 yards on the ground for Texas. And uh, they were lucky to win this game. It looked like they were going to run away with it, but they just didn't. Two for 15 on third down and two for 13 on third down for each of these teams. Texas had 478 yards of offense to 370 for Kansas State, over 100 more yards. 17 penalties, five turnovers between the two teams. Not the prettiest thing. Kansas State, 1.5 yards per carry. And we're still in this thing right up until the end and just blew an opportunity to at least force double overtime and to keep going. Alabama shredded LSU 42 to 28. Jaden Daniels took a hard hit in this one in the was it the late third quarter, early fourth, and Alabama just ended up putting it out of reach. They were already up heading into the fourth frame by a touchdown, and they put another one on the board to make it a two-score difference. Daniels was 15 for 24 for 219, two touchdowns and a pick. He had 163 yards on the ground and a touchdown as well. That's where he made the big difference, but again, he counted for all the offense here. Um, Malik Neighbors had 10 catches for 171 yards and a touchdown. He counted for half of all receptions on the team. Jane Milrow rushed for four touchdowns for the Crimson Tide and 155 yards. He threw for 219 and um, not a ton of great offense, excuse me, ton of great defense, just key plays that prevented us from, from getting too wild. Um, key plays on both sides of the ball. Alabama ultimately ended up 11 for 14 on third down and LSU was four for nine. They were almost a thousand yards of total offense in this game. And some of the per yard averages were, were crazy. 
one turnover by LSU, um, but just big plays made all over the place. And this is a, a pretty good ball game through and through. Uh, Washington USC was for a while there until USC sputtered out in the uh, fourth quarter. So we had a couple nice night games going on for the most part here. <clears throat> Oklahoma State did beat Oklahoma 27 to 24. A late flag on a uh, late Oklahoma dri uh, drive was not thrown. That would have at least given Oklahoma a chance. A couple more shots at the end zone for possibly uh, more points to possibly win this ball game. It was not thrown. It'll be talked about. Um, pass interference in the end zone. Definitely pass interference that was not called. And Oklahoma State hangs on to win it. 335 passing yards by Alan Bowman, the quarterback there. Ali Gordon, who's led the country in rushing, despite not playing uh, much the first couple games or at all. 137 yards, two touchdowns to add to his numbers there. And all of a sudden, Oklahoma State is up there with Texas at the top of the Big 12 standings. The Sooners now 7-2. and two. One loss in conference play, and they are back with Kansas, a game back from Texas and Oklahoma State in the standings, tied still with West Virginia, Iowa State, and Kansas State. So quite a few in the logjam back there. Another loss by Texas or Oklahoma State, and this gets real, real wicked on the math. Penn State wakes up a little bit and punches out Maryland 51-15 on the road. The Terrapins are just falling apart. Penn State looks good in a, a decent win there. Louisville punches out Virginia Tech 34-3. Uh, just a big win there. Virginia Tech started to gain a little life after years of not really showing much of anything. And uh, Louisville welcomes them in and beats the hell out of them. Less than 100 yards passing and rushing equals 140 total yards for uh, the Virginia Tech Hokies in a really gross game for them. Oregon State went on the road to Colorado and won 26-19. We had an offensive coordinator change there at Colorado. There's some, I think, conflict there on whether it was a good idea or not. Kent State's head coach left to become their offensive coordinator, and now he's essentially uh, shifted around. So don't know how well that was received. But 26-19 after a poor offensive showing. For Colorado, Oregon State squeaks it out, has another big game this week. Clemson 31-23 over Notre Dame. They jumped out to a nice lead and held on to win it. Hartman looked horrible. Uh, two picks in this one and um, can't rally at the end there. 13 of 30, 146 yards, two touchdowns, and um, just turnovers that were Really bad here. Cade Klubnick wasn't much better. 13 for 26, 109, a touchdown and a pick. No Shipley in this game for Clemson. Phil Maffa, 36 carries, 186 yards over five yards per touch and two touchdowns. But my God, does he have a fumbling problem? He fumbled twice in this game and lost one of them. And uh, there's some speculation that he may, he may be better than Shipley. I think both of them are important. But God, his fumbling problems are unreal. What else we got here? Tennessee 59-3 over UConn. Utah 55-3 over Arizona State, who's been feisty but did not stand a chance. Kansas went on the road 28-21, punches out Iowa State. Jason Bean still the quarterback there. One touchdown in every quarter for Kansas, and that's how it's done. 
Arizona surprises UCLA 27 to 10. They're now both 6 and 3 overall, but Arizona's 4 and 2 in conference play while UCLA stands at 500. Fifta, there we go, the quarterback, 300 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. He's been a revelation for Arizona, as has the defense. It's just playing significantly better, and this program has been completely turned around in the past couple years. They're going to have an opportunity to win more games as well. Three sacks, four tackles for losses, a couple batted down passes as the uh, Bruins played musical quarterback again with Garbers, Dante Moore, and Shaley and just could not get it anywhere close to done. Air Force has several turnovers in the first half and gets killed by Army 23-3. to Not much to say there. Not a whole lot of action. It's just turnovers set up Army for easy scores. And Tulane struggles at 1-8 East Carolina. 13-10, though, they escape. They might have another interesting game this week. And those are a couple of the highlights. We'll tackle a few of the other ones as we go through this week's Watch Guide for Week 11. We start out with Maction, of course, Tuesday and Wednesday, getting our full load of Max squads in. On Tuesday, we will have Northern Illinois hosting Ball State. Northern Illinois still hoping to make a bowl game. That's at 7 o'clock on the CBS Sports Network. At 7 o'clock on ESPNU, we'll have Western Michigan hosting Central. Hoping to make a bowl game there are the Chippewas. And at 7.30 on ESPN2, Buffalo will be hosting Ohio. Ohio hoping still to uh, get a MAC title in the bag there. They're favored by seven on the road, and that is the most notable game on the slate. Wednesday at 7 o'clock, Miami of Ohio with Blaine Gabbert will be hosting Akron on ESPNU. The Red Hawks are favored by 17 and a half there. Kent State will be hosting Bowling Green on the CBS Sports Network at 7. Bowling Green hoping to make a bowl game as well. And 7.30 ESPN2, Toledo, the favorite right now to win the MAC, will be hosting Eastern Michigan. This might be the closest matchup of all six of the games on the slate. The uh, spread is 19 points, though. Toledo, good football team, only undefeated team in the MAC. A lot of 40 points, low 40s over unders in this one. A few more points expected in the Western Central game on Tuesday. Perhaps some weather games here. None of these are supposed to be warmer than about 45 degrees. So it could be interesting in the Midwest. Thursday, Louisville gets the ball rolling at 7.30 on ESPN. They're 8-1 now, 5-1 in the ACC. Big leaders in the conference right Tucked up behind Florida State, of course. They've been pretty healthy. They've been looking pretty good. They're playing host to Virginia, who's 2-7, and seven, who will not be making a bowl game. Unless, of course, 5-7 and seven teams start to get in the mix this year. But for all intents and purposes, not making a bowl game. They've now lost two in a row at Miami and to Georgia Tech after winning two against William & Mary and North Carolina, that big upset there. They nearly won at Miami as well, if you remember that close one, but Georgia Tech quickly turned out the lights last week. Probably not posing a threat here to Louisville, but you never know. Seemed to be a decently coached team, just not a whole lot of talent going on there, but uh, Louisville 
play in there. Louisiana will be hosting Southern Miss at the same time, 7.30 ESPNU. Louisiana can still make a bowl game. They'll be favored by double digits. Friday, we have a couple more interesting teams and probably the best non-Power 5 game on the slate. SMU at 7-2 and two is still 5-0 and in the American Conference. They're hosting North Texas who's 3-6, and 1-4 and four overall in the American. And North Texas can put up some points. They are close to being eliminated from bowl eligibility. The defense on that end is not very good, so they're going to do their best to boat race SMU here. Now, SMU is going to be competing with UTSA and Tulane to win the American Conference. SMU has the advantage and not playing either team in the regular season, while UTSA plays at Tulane in the season finale for both of those teams. So that will probably be an eliminator while the winner of that game goes on to play SMU, presumably in the official conference championship game should everyone win out that far. So it's important for SMU to keep it rolling. Chandler Rogers for the North Texas Mean Green has 21 touchdowns and three picks on the season he's also added a few touchdowns on the ground again the defense is not good at all one of the worst in college football and SMU has been rolling up the points 68 and a half point over under SMU favored by 17 is the line at the moment this could be a real fireworks show it's not on till nine o'clock eastern time on ESPN2 but that'll be an interesting one to get eyes on at 10.45 p.m. Eastern Time, if you're up, FS1 will have UNLV hosting Wyoming in a fun Mountain West game. UNLV, the running Rebels, low-key, one of the most surprising teams of the season. They're currently tied for second place in the Mountain West. Although Air Force lost last week, Army is not a conference opponent, so they're still undefeated with Fresno and UNLV sitting at second place. Um, technically Fresno State's got a tiebreaker because they did beat the Rebels, the one of the two losses, the other one being Michigan. So UNLV has a little bit of work to actually make it in, but they will be playing Wyoming this week, Air Force next week, and then San Jose State. So they do have an opportunity to try and make up a little bit of ground here to make the Mountain West Conference Championship. But we know Wyoming could be a feisty football team. UNLV, top 20 rushing team in the country. They have a couple good backs there. Vincent Davis Jr. leads the team in rushing, while Davion Lester leads the team in touchdowns. Uh, he's tied with Jadavian Thomas as well. And um, 4.6 yards per carry, 5 yards per carry, 5.8 yards per carry. All these guys, they got a fleet of good running backs here. The quarterback isn't too bad either. And um, they'll try to uh, survive Wyoming here as they welcome in the um, the Cowboys here into Las Vegas. But that is a late night game on Friday. Heading into Saturday, finally, your noon slate. And we got a nice mix of games all over the board. It's really fat in the middle. A lot of games in there. That's where half the games are being played. But as far as your noon Eastern time kickoff, you have got 11 games, five ranked teams, one top 25 matchup, and that'll be your top watch. No surprise there. And that is, of course, number 11 Penn State hosting number three Michigan at noon on Fox. Kind of weird that Penn State, Ohio State was also in a noon game. Um, I wonder if Ohio State, Michigan will be the same. Not quite sure uh, why that's the case, but the big, big 10 games, I guess, would be nooners. 
Michigan's favored by four and a half on the road with a 44 point and, and a half point over under. So we're not expecting a ton of points and Michigan to still win by more than a field goal here. Penn State, of course, putting up a, a big game against Maryland last week, comfortably winning there. Michigan has the biggest win margin out of any team in the country right now by a significant margin, but has arguably played one of the easiest conference schedules. It's certainly graded out that way by most metrics. Wins over UNLV, who will be a bold team, as we just spoke about. Um, Bowling Green, who could make a bowl. Rutgers is already bowl. Nebraska should be. And then we're talking Minnesota might make a bowl, and no one else that they've played will. So it's been tough sledding as far as competitive opponents right now. The most points they've given up is 13, and that was last week to Purdue. Otherwise, it was 10 to Minnesota. They haven't faced a first in goal at all. No one's gotten to the red zone, to the goal line against them. They haven't had to defend that. Penn State might be able to change that. Again, the run game hasn't looked quite as dominant this year. Not quite sure the what's going on with that. They'll have an opportunity to do that against Penn State. The defenses are sitting one and two in the country right now overall as far as yardage allowed. Scratch that. It goes Michigan, then Ohio State, then Penn State, and ironically, Iowa also from the Big Ten. Those are your top four in terms of yardage allowed. So Ohio State has slipped in there between Michigan and Penn State, but those are your top defensive teams in the country. Again, Penn State played arguably a little bit more difficult schedule up to this point, if for no other reason than Maryland and Iowa have been on there, and Iowa plays a better defense, and Maryland arguably a little bit better offense than anyone that Michigan has played. West Virginia is also not looking too bad either at this point. They'll be in a bowl game, and they're ironically in that car crash of like a four-way tie for second place in the Big 12 right now. But um, their schedule's still better than than Michigan's as far as what's been played right now. But neither one is comparable to the levels of talent that both Penn State and Michigan have. The real question is, can Penn State whose big offseason changes were to try and shore up that interior that Michigan ran for over 200 yards against last year when J.J. McCarthy didn't even need to put the ball in the air. Is that going to be any better? That's hard to say, but Penn State did do a good job of muffling what Ohio State was trying to do on the ground. That's the best indicator that they've shown so far of being able to shut down a productive run game. No Travion Henderson in that particular game, but they still held Ohio State to less than 100 yards rushing after you take out sack yardage and uh, did a good job holding Maryland to negative yardage, Indiana to less than three yards per carry, um, did a great job holding Northwestern to less than two yards per carry. West Virginia showed a little bit of movement. That's probably the best run game I think that they played so far outside of a healthy Ohio State. So we'll see if Michigan can get some movement. I think they will, perhaps, but not get the uh, the 200 yards that they did last season. I just don't think um, Penn State quite has the juice to be able to stop what Michigan can provide. But Michigan's not operating at the level they did last year. So I think we'll see um, a little bit of a come together from what we saw last season, an improvement from Penn State and a little bit of a regression on the Michigan side, but the stat still indicates 
we'll probably see a, a decent run game from Michigan. JJ McCarthy has been a, a, a much improved player and he hasn't played in any fourth quarters or been particularly challenged in a lot of games, but he's shown and been pushed to make some more difficult plays at least. And I think that he'll be able to throw on a secondary that I don't think is quite as good. They still give up a yardage to Ohio State, not in big globs, big pieces, um, but Ohio State was still able to to move to Marvin Harrison Jr. when they wanted to. Well, Michigan should still be able to to get their um, key guy open there, their key couple guys, and I think that they'll be able to supplement the run game with the pass just fine and be able to find a way. The main problem is I don't think Penn State will be able to move the ball really successfully on Michigan. I think the pressure will cause a lot of problems. Um, Drew Allers had some good games, and the Ohio State game, he looked absolutely atrocious. Um, The offensive line has been problematic at times. The run game isn't always clicking on all cylinders. I just don't know why they can't get everything going at once, and I think they're going to have some problems moving the ball again, just like they did against Ohio State, and um, I think 44 points is seems about right, and I do think Michigan is able to win this one, but this will be a great ball game, nevertheless, with real stakes on the line for both teams still in the hunt for a Big Ten championship and a playoff spot. Now, your top channel flipper games in the noon slot is going to be Kentucky at 6-3 and three and 500 in the SEC, hosting Alabama, who's currently number eight. Eight in the country and eight and one overall in, con- in, in total play, undefeated in conference play. This will be the primetime ESPN game. Alabama favored by double digits right now. And um, they're doing a great job uh, adjusting throughout the season, as you'd expect a uh, Nick Saban team to do, working with his coordinators. Those guys, of course, switch out every year, almost every year, new guys in there, but Saban at the helm, making sure things stay right as they're. Uh, supposed to do, um, supposed to be, you know, making adjustments and, um, doing a great job. They've now won, what is it? Six games in a row, seven games in a row since that Texas loss and, um, able to keep things close to the vest. Not every game is a massive blowout. Of course, three point win over Arkansas, six point win over Texas A&M, um, 14 points was relatively close last week, 14 over Mississippi and 14 over Tennessee. Uh, so keeping things a little bit closer, but um, still able to right the ship. Tennessee is right about where Tennessee should be. They lose this one. They're sitting at seven wins still, hope or six wins still, hoping to scrap towards seven, eight by the time the season ends. They've lost three of four. Now, they ended a three-game skid by beating Mississippi State last week, and it's criminal what's going on with Mississippi State as far as not using the personnel uh, the way that Mike Leach, the late Mike Leach, recruited there. Um, But Kentucky won a big game last week to end a three-game skid to every good team in their division, blown out by Georgia, blown out by Missouri, and a close loss at home to Tennessee. And now they've got uh, Alabama rolling into town in their last home game of the year before they play South Carolina and Louisville on the road. So... Alabama, big one here. Got to have it. And um, they'll probably roll over to Kentucky, but worth keeping an eye on. Kansas hosting Texas Tech. And Texas Tech might not make a bowl game, man. A dark horse candidate to win the Big 12 before the conference started. They're sitting 500, 4-5 overall. Um, Kansas 
surprisingly in the log jam for second place in the Big 12. 21st ranking, according to AP. 7-2 and two overall. Played without their star quarterback for most of the season at this point. This is on FS1. Kansas, a uh, three-and-a-half point favorite at home right now in Lawrence, and they just keep on rolling. The defense is doing good things, able to uh, create pressure at times, able to get stops at times, nothing super spectacular uh, there when playing really good offenses. But Texas Tech, again, I don't know how many quarterbacks they've started the past two seasons now at this point. I don't know if we're at like seven now or something like that. They did beat uh, just a bombing TCU uh, team last week that's been struggling horribly, ending a two-game skid of their own. But this is a team that can still put up points, but is struggling, trying to make a bowl game, and they're heading to Jayhawk City. I love watching the Kansas uh, Jayhawks and the success there with Lance Leopold. Um, if he continues to stay there and build the facilities out and just really do a great job with that school, that's fantastic. If he moves on to another school, like a Michigan State or another college, I'd be excited to see that as well. Winner of multiple championships at lower level schools and uh, just a winner everywhere he goes at this particular point. I think he does a fantastic job. But that's on the uh, channel flipping schedule for me. Other notable games, and then I added a fourth column here called uh, Just Hoping for a Bull uh, section here. So, notable games. Tulane, ranked 24th, 8-1. As I stated earlier, undefeated in the American. They're three-plus touchdown favorites over Tulsa on ESPN2. Tulsa, hoping to make a bull, 3-6. and six. However, man, they're feisty. Always a feisty football team are the Golden Hurricanes, well-coached in general. But, um, man, Tulane has got to hang in there. They beat uh, East Carolina by three points. They're not going to a bowl. They beat Rice by two points. They might not go to a bowl. They beat North Texas by seven. They're probably not going bowling. They beat Memphis by 10. They beat UAB by 12. They're not going to a bowl game. They're just holding on by the skin of their teeth right now. And coming up here, they play a road game to at Ford Atlantic, who is at one point favored to be in the race uh, in the American, and then they've got that big UTSA game. They've got to make it past Tulsa still, and they've been struggling just to get by much lower class teams at this particular point. They cannot trip up here, or they'll move from possibly an A-class New Year's Day 6 bowl game to like a C-list game on a random Tuesday on December 3rd or something like that. Like they gotta, they gotta keep their heads in the game here and not fall to Tulsa. Also notable, Nebraska will be hosting Maryland again. The wheels just coming off Maryland. I don't know what the hell's going on there. Both teams are five and four. Nebraska still in a log jam in the uh, Big Ten. Is it the Big Ten West? I always get this wrong. Whatever the garbage division is over here, that all of a sudden has Iowa back in the lead. But there's about four teams in tied for second place behind that. Nebraska switched quarterback a couple weeks ago. The defense is looking better. Matt Rule might actually get this team into a bowl game, might even get them seven. Hell, might even get them eight wins. That would be insane. And uh, has them trending upward. Maryland, again, trending the wrong direction. It's at Nebraska's place. This is the noon Peacock game, yet Maryland's favored by two and a half on the road. That doesn't quite seem right now that I'm looking at it for the first time, but that's a notable game. Clemson, trying to make a bowl 
<laughs> at five and four overall, two and four in the ACC. While Georgia Tech's also five and four, four and two in the ACC. I believe they're in a tie here for second place after all the car crashes that have happened the past few weeks here. Uh, Florida State's alone in first, Louisville's alone in second, and Georgia Tech's alone in third place in the ACC. What in the hell is going on here? So there's a notable game for you. If you can bear watching Clemson again, Georgia Tech seems to be able to generate a bit of a pass rush. Pass rush. Haynes King at quarterback was a former four-star or five-star prospect at Texas A&M before he transferred out. This team can do some things, and they've been winning some football games. Now, they do have to do it at Clemson, who's 14-plus point favorites, but this might be kind of a sneaky, interesting game between Dabo, who's yelling at radio call-in guys during his afternoon show, and Georgia Tech, who's trying to rebuild a program while Clemson's falling apart. So this might be an interesting one at noon on ABC. The last section I have here, hoping for bowls, teams that will probably fall off the watch guide here soon, as they are not going to be bowl eligible. They take another loss, and then things get weird with teams not playing as hard or kind of you know, becoming disinterested or transferring or whatever happens uh, moving forward. Big Ten Network, Illinois is four and five. They're hosting Indiana, who is three and six. We do have South Carolina at three and six, hosting Vanderbilt, who is two and eight. That is on the SEC Network. Obviously, Vanderbilt already out and South Carolina trying to hang on. They are almost 14 points favorites. Um, Illinois almost a touchdown favorite over Indiana at home on the Big Ten Network. Boston College has been fighting very hard in the ACC to stay relevant. They're three and two in conference play. They are six and three. They'll be going to a bowl game. They're in a tie for fourth in the ACC. They've won five games in a row. They'll be playing host to Virginia Tech, who's four and five kind of having resurgence resurgence of their own. They're three and two in the ACC. Virginia Tech's actually favored by a point and a half on the road. This could be not a great game, but a competitive game at least, as a Virginia Tech is trying to move to bowl eligibility as well on the ACC network. And finally, South Florida is hosting Temple in an awful of all awful games, but South Florida's four and five, Temple's three and six. That is on the ESPN Plus network. South Florida, a touchdown favorite. They've already doubled their win total from last year. So hell, that's some kind of success there. Moving to the afternoon games, 25 of them, seven ranked teams, two top 25 matchups. I have one game that I isolated as a top watch, although we have several great channel flippers. And I pulled out number five, Washington, hosting number 18, Utah. The 330 Fox game, Washington's eight and a half point favorites with only 54 and a half point over under at the moment. Utah has found a little offense recently. Now, the argument could completely be made that is only because they played some terrible defenses. 55 points on Arizona State last week, six two weeks ago against Oregon. And 32 against, uh, excuse me, 34 against USC, 34 against California the weeks previous. So against some of the better teams, they are not putting up points. Um, but is Washington's defense that good? That's been a big question. 
as of late. Um, teams have been able to move the ball on them. I'm not just talking about USC. I'm talking about Stanford. I'm talking about um, California. And um, there may be some ways for Utah to move the ball as well. Uh, the quarterback that's been plugged in there is the start of the past few games is Barnes, Brayson Barnes, who's not fantastic. But uh, when he's given some time to throw the football, he's been able to make some plays. And I think he may do just that against Washington, who's really sputtered recently. There's some speculation that Michael Penix might be a little banged up due to the length of the season here and some of the tough teams they've been playing. They didn't open up against Boise State, who's fallen apart, admittedly. Michigan State, they had to fly across country, who's not as good, admittedly. And then they played Arizona, Oregon, that feisty Stanford team on the road, USC. And tough games still to play, Utah, Oregon State, and Washington State, although they'll be, they'll be favored over all those squads. Offense uh, is at times not always clicking, and Utah will be happy to punish them for any mistakes. I think this is a, a big game for Washington to be careful uh, going on the road against Oregon State next week. And now Washington State looks like a walkover at this point. But I think this is a much bigger game uh, than may be speculated. For channel flippers, I have Colorado hosting Arizona at 2 o'clock. Now, this is on the Pac-12 network for those that can see it. Arizona favored by double Digits here to have a chance to move to seven and three and five and three or five and two in the pack 12. Colorado is struggling to make a bowl game now. Four and five, one and five in the pack 12. We knew this would be more difficult as the schedule continued, and especially because they struggled in the front end. They've lost three in a row at Washington State is next. That's looking winnable now. And at Utah to end the season. So this game is their last home contest of the season. And it's going to be difficult with Arizona coming to town with a powerful offense and a seemingly um, refound defense here. Um, so this is going to be a ball game that might be a blowout again in shocking fashion for Arizona as they get their feet underneath them. Colorado I don't know what the hell they're getting from them anymore. Sanders was banged up last week. The offense started to struggle, and that was the only thing they had going for them was him throwing the ball to Hunter for the most part and some of those weapons. So no idea what the hell's going to go on with Colorado, but still entertaining, right? Plus, this Arizona quarterback is, is something special. 3.30, we've got just a cluster of games lining up with the Washington-Utah game, but Florida State is hosting Miami uh, at that same time. Miami's now 6-3. and three. They've looked pathetic the past few weeks, but this will be on ABC. I'm sure they didn't expect yet another Miami lost, lost last week. Uh, Florida State now 14.5-point favorites in this one. 20 to 6 was the final last week for uh, Miami, who's lost three of the last five. They survived Virginia and beat Clemson as a couple of those wins there. But this is just a sick team right now, just not looking very good. Um, I don't know what else to say about this one. Florida State should really bomb them, shell them out here, although I have questions about their secondary. I just don't know if Miami can get things going with Van Dyke and put the pieces together to cause a lot of problems. Van Dyke had three picks last week, albeit against a better defense in NC State. That's really how they win games because their offense is pretty pathetic. But um, this might not be as exciting a game as advertised. 
Missouri will be hosting Tennessee at 3.30. Missouri is 12th. Tennessee is 17th. Tennessee is favored by point on the road. This is um clearly a Tennessee lean. I, I don't, I'm not sure why. Missouri looks pretty damn good last week, didn't they? Um, against uh, Georgia there. A couple mistakes. But um, still, uh, Tennessee hasn't looked um, really great against most teams. Uh, they squeaked it out against Kentucky on the road. They blew out some bad teams. They squeaked it out against uh, Texas A&M by touchdown. Yeah, beat a lot of non-bowl teams and were beat by um, Alabama and Florida. So our running game and the defense is still the calling card here, but I think this is kind of a subpar team. They've still got Georgia to go still as well before ending the season against Vanderbilt. Missouri's got an interesting stretch here with Tennessee, Florida, and Arkansas on the road. But uh, this will be a good ball game, seeing if Brady Cook can continue to uh, cook, per se, here at home in a nice SEC matchup between two uh, still of the better teams here in the conference. Um, not to not to talk down on them too much, two of the better SEC football teams here at 3.30 on uh, is this ESPN. On, oh, this is not, not determined yet. Might be an ESPN 2. Well, it'll be determined by the time you listen to this, probably. I also have here UCF hosting number 22, Oklahoma State, on ESPN. Um, Oklahoma State's only favored by two and a half. Now, Central Florida is very interesting. One in five in the Big 12, struggling to make a bowl. Oklahoma State trying to make the Big 12 championship game. UCF giving up points in the fourth quarter. Um, starting quarterback Plumlee's in there, but having some turnover issues. Um, Oklahoma State's been exploding in the second half of games. Number one in scoring in the past three games in the second half. Of course, we know they've been on a resurgence uh, after some personnel changes since the bye week. But um, UCF can still cause some damage. The offense can still be very productive here. So on the road, this could be a sneaky game for um, the Cowboys and dangerous, favored by less than a field goal on the road here. UCF did beat Cincinnati by two points on the road barely last week, ending a five-game skid. But a lot of these were not as bad as indicated. They lost by one to Baylor, two at Oklahoma, 13 at West Virginia, which it's not great, but West Virginia will win a few games and go to a bowl. They were smashed at Kansas. They were uh, smashed by 13 to Kansas State. Uh, but nevertheless, this is a, a team that's better, certainly on offense than defense. And before I even saw the line, I thought that this would be a team that could run with Oklahoma State a little bit and keep the game from getting too crazy out of control. And it looks like the thought process is the same by the sports books here. So keep that on the radar as well. Your other notable games here before we get to the bowl watch section. Liberty trying to stay undefeated. They're hosting Old Dominion. Currently 9-0, hoping to move to 10-0. This is on ESPN Plus at uh, 1 o'clock. Liberty favored by less than two touchdowns. Old Dominion's been a bit frisky this year. Also on ESPN Plus, but starting at 2 o'clock, James Madison hosting UConn, who slipped to 1-8 this year. Not such a great season there. James Madison favored by big points in this one. They might be undefeated in basketball as well. They're leading Michigan State in basketball as I'm recording this right now. 
We have Memphis going to Charlotte at 2 o'clock on ESPN Plus as well. Memphis 7-2, 4-1 in the American Conference. Uh, good quarterback, pretty good quarterback. Um, keeping them in ball games. Defense not as good. Favored by double digits on the road. Still have a chance in the American Conference there with Tulane, SMU, and UTSA, but will probably be on the outside looking in. Troy is pretty darn good there in the Sun Belt Conference. They'll be playing at 2 o'clock as well on ESPN+. 7-2 and two overall, 4-1 the Sun Belt, playing at Louisiana Monroe, who's already bull ineligible. A couple of good Sun Belt teams as well, still on ESPN Plus at 2. Georgia State, 6-3 and three overall. Appalachian State is 5-4. and four. Both teams have had their struggles this year, but not a bad non-Power 5 conference game there. 3 o'clock, the struggling Baylor Bears will be the next opponent for Kansas State, who's ranked 23rd in a 6-3 and three overall. Their 20-plus point favorites here are the Wildcats, but still Baylor struggling to, uh, to hang on there, and Kansas State trying to bounce back after the tough loss at Kansas and the sluggish start in that game. Um, Hopefully they're not going to have that same problem again. Baylor's pretty much sunk this season. Iowa hosting Rutgers at 3.30, leading their division right now. And this will be at the Big Ten Network. Rutgers already eligible for a bowl game. This is not going to be a great game, but two teams in the Big Ten that are bowl eligible. Um, too bad it's it's going to be like a rough game. Over-unders 28.5. Holy hell, that's going to be one of the lowest we've ever seen. Um, Iowa favored by two in that one. Western Kentucky will be hosting New Mexico State at 3.30 on ESPN+. Plus. New Mexico State is 7-3 and 5-1 and and in Conference USA. The Fighting Jerry Kills doing a good job there. Western Kentucky favored by four points. Still a potent offense over there with the Hilltoppers. And Coastal Carolina will be hosting Texas State also at 3.30, also on ESPN+. Plus. Texas State favored on the road by a couple there. Um, decent Sunbelt teams, both going to bowls already and, um, just a good contest there. Um, 60 point over under expecting some points in that one. Lastly, bowl watch teams. You really shouldn't be watching unless you're on a commercial break or things start to drag or it's an unfortunate option to add into one of your four box on your YouTube TV options. Two o'clock will have Wake Forest hosting NC State. NC State did become bowl eligible last week when they picked up that win over uh, Miami. But Wake Forest might not make a bowl game. They're sitting at four and five overall right now. So they'll have to beat uh, NC State to stay in the hunt there. This is on the CW network, thankfully. NC State favored there. Three o'clock, we'll have Utah State hosting Nevada. Nevada's picked up a couple wins now. Utah State will need a couple to make a bowl game, and they're favored in this one. Purdue hosting Minnesota at 3.30. Not a great game. But uh, Minnesota still in the hunt for the division and um, trying to uh, make a bowl game as well. Only five wins. This is on NBC. That is disgusting. Wisconsin and Northwestern. Be playing each other. Wisconsin favored by double digits, 330 FS1. Uh, not guaranteed that both of these teams are going to Bulls, but certainly a, a decent year at four wins right now for Northwestern. 330 as well. Syracuse will be hosting Pitt. Pitt already eliminated from a bowl game despite playing a big upset for the year already. Syracuse, though, 4 and 5, 0 oh and 5 in the ACC and not favored at home 
on the ACC network. A couple wins away from a bowl, bowl game. Arkansas will be hosting Auburn. Auburn is not bowl eligible right now. And Arkansas is a win away from being eliminated, possibly looking for a new coach, but they are favored at home. Four o'clock on the ACC network. Cal will be hosting Washington State at four o'clock on ESPN2. Neither one's eliminated from a bowl game yet, but it's damn close and a coin flipper. And Florida Atlantic, at one point thought to be in the mix for the American, a few games into the season. Four and five right now, though, hosting a one and eight East Carolina squad on ESPN Plus. Favored by a touchdown, plus the Owls need a nice win here over the Pirates to keep their bowl hopes alive. Moving to the evening slate. 13 games as we cut back down, six ranked squads, one top 25 matchup, and your top watch will be the Georgia Bulldogs hosting the Old Miss Rebels at 7 o'clock. I think I forgot to cover um, what the Old Miss Rebels did last week, but they survived Texas A&M at home 38-35 to in a nice barn burner game as, again, we had several great contests that ended, not always in upsets, but in several um, close games last week. In a nice back and forth, Texas A&M scored to take the lead, then Old Miss scored to take the lead, then I believe this one ended in a, a field goal. No, it was Judkins scoring late to, to win this one. But we had a back and forth in the fourth quarter here uh, where Old Miss was eventually able to take the lead after uh, several score changes. So good game uh, last week. Good win over Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher again. Hot seat. Temperature turning back up. Um, I guess it continues to turn up as long as the uh, buyout number continues to go down. But here they are. One loss to their name. Georgia, Louisiana Monroe, and Mississippi State on the schedule. Wouldn't it be crazy? wouldn't it, if they won here. Now, they still wouldn't go to the um, SEC championship game unless Alabama took a couple losses because their only loss is to Alabama, but this would still be a hell of a football team and possibly a playoff team, if you could imagine that. Two teams from the SEC could make it, and it could be Alabama and Ole Miss. Now, we're a long, we're a long ways from that. Old Miss is not a remarkable team exactly by any measure. Uh, they are 14th in passing yards, 35th in rushing yards. Uh, they have a high-scoring passing offense. The defense has not exactly been a stellar group, but they can still run the football. Judkins has been hurt for a good chunk uh, of the season, but he's been healthy as of late, and Jackson Dart can both run and throw the ball. They have some playmakers then go up and make catches as well, and um, they'll move the ball. Against Georgia, I do believe, whose defense is not quite as good. 58.5 point over-under means points, 10 points leaning uh, Georgia's way and a hook as well. So I think there'll be some points. It's supposed to be in the 50s for this game as well, which seems a little bit cooler. And um, I think this will be a fun ball game. Georgia's course hasn't been quite slowed down yet as far as Carson Beck at the quarterback position has been concerned. No uh, air quotes bad game yet. Everything pretty uh, fantastic as far as we've seen from him. And uh, not sure that Old Miss's defense in general can slow him down. But that'll be your top watch there. Your channel flippers. Now, I of course have Oklahoma ranked ninth hosting West Virginia here on Fox. 
West Virginia six and three, with Oklahoma seven and two. They're both four and two in the Big Twelve. This is a very interesting game. Oklahoma favored by less than a couple touchdowns. Points expected in this one. West Virginia's been able to run the ball, play a little defense, and this team can do some things. They don't have any spectacular wins to their name. Duquesne, Pitt, Texas Tech, TCU, Central Florida, BYU. It's possible that only one or two of those teams even make a bowl game. But uh, this team can do some things. And uh, Oklahoma clearly has is, is, had some struggles. I think they should be the clear favorite here, but this could still be an interesting football game. Also, Oregon State will be hosting Stanford, and I love that Ashton Daniels, the quarterback for Stanford. He sucked last week in the win against Washington State in rainy weather, I believe it was, the 10-7 win. And they brought in Justin Daniels, I believe it is, the other quarterback, to run around a little bit, uh, but not necessarily contribute in the passing game. But Stanford seems to be uh, just a sneaky squad here. And Oregon State, which grabs some wins earlier in the season, they're still 7-2. and two. Nothing to shake a stick at. But they did lose to Washington State early in the season. They lost to Arizona. A couple road games there. They sneaked by Colorado. Um, uh, I guess they have a lot of solid wins other than that. But I'm just not quite sold on DJ Ungle, although he's definitely elevated this offense. But Stanford's just sneaky, and every game they win is one more than they should at this point. And I just, this is worth channel flipping over to see if Ashton Daniels um, can keep things interesting in this football game in my account. Uh, North Carolina will also be hosting Duke, and this was a firefight that came down to the very end last year. It could be again this season. Um, with Riley Leonard, should be back for this game. I believe he's been playing on off. He keeps getting hurt. Hard to keep track, to be honest with you. Duke is 6-3. and three. North Carolina 7-2 and two at this point. They're both 3-2 and two in the ACC. Neither, no, that shouldn't really matter. I'm not sure that either one will be um, able to make it into the conference championship game at this particular point. Um, it's possible. But uh, big rivalry game. UNC is favored by 12.5 at home with 50 point over under. I'm not sure how we hit that those numbers. Duke's uh, Duke's defense has been pretty good. North Carolina's offense has been pretty good. I'm not, I'm just not quite sure how we come up with that origami there. Um, but uh, it could it, it should be an interesting rivalry game. That's all I can really say for that. We hope for health and we hope for good production um, all over the place there. North Carolina played Campbell last week, so that I, I didn't watch more than two seconds of that game and the highlights. Duke played its third quarter starting quarterback of the season who threw for less than 100 yards, and they won on a walk-off field goal over Wake Forest to move them to 4-5. And five. and um, they had less than, a, less than 300 yards of offense altogether, while Wake Forest had 400 yards. So not exactly stellar numbers there, four turnovers in that game and some penalties. So nothing exciting to see from either of these teams last week. Notable games. How about Ohio State hosting Michigan State? Simply because Ohio State's playing a ball game here. You'd expect them to beat the hell out of Michigan State, who has continued to try and hold on by the skin of their teeth for like a month and a half now. And they continue to suck. They managed to beat... Um, Oh, God, whoever the hell they played the other week, Nebraska. That was actually a pretty good win. 
And now ABC is stuck with Ohio State hosting a three and six Michigan State team. Michigan State's favor or Ohio State's favored by thirty plus points with a forty seven point over under. But uh, just noting that. Next up, we have TCU hosting Texas. TCU's four and five, hoping to make a bowl game still, but they've struggled. They're just struggling all over the place. Changed quarterbacks, helped for a game. Not sure what's going on now. Texas is eight and one, of course. Um, Ewers might play for this one. I mean, maybe. Ten point favorites are Texas on the road. ABC. LSU will be hosting Florida. Probably no starting quarterback there either for LSU. Uh, Musburger, I believe, is the backup's name. He was expected to be a a good quarterback, um, possibly taking the reins at some point. He wasn't particularly impressive last week, but perhaps game plan as the starter will give them a better opportunity. They are two touchdown favorites, 60-plus points expected. And um, Gators, you never know what you're getting. They've sucked on the road, but backup quarterback here. SEC Network, 7.30. UTSA will be hosting Rice. UTSA still 5-0 in the American and in the hunt. Less than two touchdown favorites, though, against a Rice team. JT Daniels, I believe, is still piloting this team. I haven't watched in a couple weeks. I should know that, unless he's hurt. Um, Four and five, though, are the Rice Owls with almost a 60-point over under, still trying to make a bowl game. This could be interesting if they have a healthy JT Daniels at the helm. Bull watch for your evening. South Alabama will be hosting Arkansas State. The uh, South Alabama Cougars have looked good at times this season. Um, They've had their moments since moving up to the FBS level. And Arkansas State looked horrible to start the year, and all of a sudden they're 5-4. and But both teams trying to make a bowl still. 5 o'clock ESPN plus South Alabama favored by double digits. Houston will be hosting Cincinnati. Boy, has Cincinnati sucked. Houston's closer to bowl eligibility. Well, Houston's 4-5. and five. Cincinnati's out of it. Houston's favored by less than a field goal at home, though. Marshall looked good to start the season, and now they might not make a bowl game. They're hosting Georgia Southern, which continues to field one of the top passing offenses in the country. Georgia Southern 6-3 and will make a bowl. Marshall's 4-5 and and struggling, but they're at home. Not favored. Uh, Less than a field goal difference on the spread. NFL Network is where you can see this game. And Colorado State will be hosting San Diego State because both teams are 3-6. and And um, they're probably neither making a bowl game, which is too bad after Colorado State's uh, program rebuild and playing a close game with Colorado to start the season, which would have been a great win. And San Diego State there with Brady Hoke uh, relying on the defense for a good chunk of the last couple seasons. And now they just kind of suck all over. But that's on the CBS Sports Network. Colorado State favored by four. Your late night slate's got some games this week, baby. We've got, let's just run through all of them real quick, shall we? We've got six games, four ranked teams, one top 25 matchup. Although in a lot of rankings, this team has already dropped all the way out. Nine o'clock of the Pac-12 network will steal number 19 UCLA playing host to Arizona State, who is looking, finally looking like all the the injuries have caught up to them. And um, UCLA is favored by 16 and a half. If they hadn't had such quarterback problems, just no one's looking good right now. 
this line would be a hell of a lot higher. Um, so this would fall more into the notable section. 10 o'clock, Boise State's 4 and 5. Hosting New Mexico is 3 and 6 on FS1. Boise State's struggling as well, but they're 24-point favorites here. So that one would fall more into the um, just trying to make a bowl section. 10-15, ESPN will have BYU at 5 and 4. Hosting Iowa State. At five and four, we'd call this a channel flipper, folks. Iowa State favored by almost six and a half. They've made some adjustments there. And this team, which is supposed to finish in the basement of the Big 12s, all of a sudden finished in a, or they're in a tie for third right now. Looking pretty solid. It looks like they might have a quarterback there as well. And Becht. And um, he can sling the ball a little bit. And they can do some things there at Iowa State. BYU has, has slipped. They're not 2-4 and four in conference play after some success in the non-con. And um, Iowa State, this would be a big win for them, moving to bowl eligibility with a couple of games yet to go. This is a channel flipper. Now, your main watch here, and this is probably going to be a blowout. That's Oregon at 8-1, of course, ranked 6, hosting USC at 7-3, ranked 20th, 10-30 on Fox. Oregon favored by 16.5 with a 73 and a half. Over, under, I'm just not sure USC can move the ball back on Oregon. I still like Caleb Williams. He's catching too much grief after his, um, really his frustration last week after the loss to Washington, which came out as him, um, looked like he was crying with his mom in the stands and then expressing um, kind of a sorrow and wanting to go home and watch his movies um, after the game uh, and rather than show, I guess, rage and just saying he wants to go and get better after the result of the game. He expressed kind of um, a, a more depressing side of things. And uh, a lot of feedback on social media from fans has been that he's not mentally tough. And I think that's just a, a ridiculous sentiment. Um, as someone who's taken this season very seriously and is taking the loss very hard, uh, I actually think you need to reevaluate your thoughts on that personally. Nevertheless, Oregon will be at home for what will be a 7.30 kickoff for them, welcoming in uh, a team which just fired its defensive coordinator in Grinch and trying to fix things on that end, on the fly, on the big game. This is almost a slam dunk cover for me. Um, and I, I just hope it's possible Caleb Williams comes out and and he puts a lot on himself, but they just try to get the def the offense in a position to keep pace and just score and put points on the board. That would be nice to keep it an interesting watch, but it's possible Oregon just bullies USC like a lot of teams are doing now and puts them away, possibly by halftime. Also at 10.30 on the CBS Sports Network, San Jose State is 4-5, and five, but 3-2 and two in the Mountain West. They're favored by a point at home against Fresno State, who's 8-1 and one and probably the best team in the Mountain West right now. Um, this is a very interesting line to me. Um, Fresno State, I believe, still has their starting quarterback and all the pieces intact. Don't have any major injuries there as far as I know. San Jose State does have an interesting quarterback and Coralehu. I'll never say that right. But um, just interesting here that Fresno is not favored on the road, and that could really upset the apple cart in the Mountain West. The favorite, though, in the single lead uh, in the conference is Air Force still, and they will be the 11 o'clock Eastern time game. They're playing at Hawaii. 
Not expected to lose, almost 20-point favorites. Still ranked 25th right now. The Army lost last week wasn't a conference game, so they didn't uh, knock them from the unbeaten teams, which of, there's only uh, seven left now. But um, they did not take a conference loss. So it'd be a big deal if Fresno State lost and Air Force kept going. That'd make a two-game lead for Air Force in the conference, and they'd be playing at Hawaii to try and accomplish that feat. So, moving on to your categories, your must-watch game. It's either Michigan at Penn State or Utah at Washington. Personally, if I'm picking one, I'm going Utah at Washington. I think Michigan will be just, well, I don't want to say just fine against Penn State. I think that result could be as expected. I think Utah-Washington could be not as expected. However, you do have a nice lineup here if you wish to watch one game kind of throughout the day and kind of flip through. You have Michigan at Penn State. You have Utah at Washington. You do have Alabama at Ole Miss. And then you do have uh, USC at Oregon with your channel flipping options should any of those games get out of hand. You're audible. You're just throwing out the uh, the schedule here and flipping full time to the gate to the Southern game. I have the uh, evening slate here of Alabama. Excuse me, Georgia gets a hold on Old Miss. I am going to North Carolina hosting Duke. Um, I think that's going to be a competitive game, and although there aren't playoff odds, playoff uh, chances on the line, I think there'll be a good ball game. I think you have a good quarterback in Drake May going to the NFL soon. I think you have some playmakers, and I just think that's going to be uh, a good, good game in that slot. Check in. Tulane hosting Tulsa. As I said before, the Green Wave have been struggling against bad football teams, and they shouldn't be because they're still a cut above UTSA for the favorites and um, SMU for the favorites uh, in the conference. And even being at home with a couple bigger games coming up, I just I, that just that just it's in my craw, you know, it's in my craw. Watch out for that one. Check in on that. Small screen Starla is actually the Friday night game. UNLV hosting Wyoming for a big Mountain West battle. It should be one of the most competitive non-Power 5 game matchups. I do try to keep the selection on Saturday just so you have it in the back of your mind, but the best game is that Friday night selection, I do believe. Your two undefeated non-Power 5 teams, Liberty and James Madison, should clean up against Old Dominion and UConn respectively, I would expect. I do think we'll have a decent game on ESPN Plus between Georgia State and Appalachian State, but that isn't quite as accessible to everyone. Same thing with New Mexico State and Western Michigan. If I had to go with another choice on Saturday, I'd probably go with UTSA and Rice, simply because UTSA, that still a great offense there. Frank Harris, of course, will be an awesome quarterback. The right things are going on in the NFL. He'll be starting at least a couple games at some point as a backup. And JT Daniels there at Rice. Um, I think that'll be an interesting non-Power 5 game. Underrated, I do have UCF hosting Oklahoma State. And I had Colorado hosting Arizona. I think Arizona might just go and beat the hell out of Colorado. So I have UCF hosting Oklahoma State. But really, anything in that afternoon window could be interesting. I think Colorado might just get crushed by Arizona, but I did have that as an option as well. Florida State hosting Miami, Missouri hosting Tennessee. I think any of those could be an underrated option. And lastly, your late night snack. It's going to be Oregon hosting USC, even if that turns into a blowout. 
Otherwise, it might actually be BYU hosting Iowa State. Um, I know San Jose State is hosting Fresno State. That that might actually be the low, the most interesting game. I just can't quite picture it. Fresno State's had a couple struggles. Um, I just can't believe they're not favored on the road. I'm missing missing something there. Boise should take care of New Mexico. If you get Pac-12, UCLA will probably slowly take care of Arizona State, and Air Force should take care of Hawaii. So there are three potential games there that are interesting in that window. Um, several late night snacks, if you will, to keep things interesting all throughout the day. So that'll be your TV guide for this upcoming Saturday. A record 64 quarterbacks played in the NFL last season. Obviously, double the amount of teams in the league. This year, we're up to 65 already. A few of them just coming in in garbage time. But that is a new record, and we are already on the lookout to have more quarterbacks join that number on the horizon, especially with Kyler Murray. I'm looking to reactivate at any time for the Arizona Cardinals. So what does this mean exactly, and why exactly is this happening now? You could blame offensive line, poor offensive line play. You could blame quarterbacks moving more out of the pocket, away from protection. You can move, uh, blame quarterbacks having to spend more time standing in as plays develop downfield. You can blame turf fields. You can blame this on the quarterback position and teams that aren't solid there, rotating quarterbacks in and out more readily, such as the Raiders who move from Jimmy Garoppolo to Aiden O'Connell to Jimmy Garoppolo to Brian Hoyer to Jimmy Garoppolo to Aiden O'Connell this season already. Or the Browns who move from Deshaun Watson to DTR to PJ Walker to Deshaun Watson to P.J. Walker to Deshaun Watson due to an injury, which was separate. So we can say there's a lot of different reasons that quarterbacks are more plentiful in appearances than ever. But how do teams make sure that they have a good backup in place, which is another highly debated point. A lot of teams only carry one quarterback on the roster, the active roster at a time. Sometimes a rookie looking to uh, see more development time. Sometimes a veteran like a Brian Hoyer, of course, a rookie or a young guy like a um, Jalen Hall, for example, of the Cousins of, of the Vikings backing up Kirk Cousins, who's not expected to see action or Tyson Badgett for um, the Chicago Bears. Or a guy like Brett Ripon, who's still around for the Rams backing up Matthew Stafford. You know, where's he been? Or a guy you expect to be a little bit better backup, like a Garner Minshew, who was a starter at one point. Teams handle the backup position in all number of ways, and we're starting to see that you can win with all kinds of different backups. It's a really confusing situation to kind of be in. Of course, the Titans have two possible draft selections hoping to uh, step up in Ryan Tannehill's absence if he wasn't able to perform or get hurt this year, which is exactly what ended up happening after he was hurt last season. Now hurt again this year. Well, Levis was able to step up after Malik. Willis hasn't shown much improvement in his second year in the league, but technically they had three options at quarterback that um, had some 
reasonable level of playability on the roster with both a vet that they wanted to believe in and two young prospects as well. So moving forward, of course, you have a 63 active roster, active man roster each week. Two quarterback spots are used. Perhaps a third um, should be used. You do have room for backups at multiple positions, kickers, punters, long snappers, uh, extra guys like a fullback, which is rarely used, of course, anymore, or nickel, extra nickel, um, cornerback, um, extra tight ends, running backs, all kinds of key positional players. If you have depth on the defensive line, offensive line, if that's a problem as well, it just seems like you should be able to be able to field multiple quarterbacks if it is a problem. 49ers, for example, last year in the playoffs, Brock Purdy, who had not not yet removed the intern tag from his um, position as backup quarterback, didn't have anyone behind him to take snaps in a playoff game. And certainly seems like at the very least, you have someone else that can throw a screen, throw a couple short, easy passes. Um, these guys have been throwing a football around their entire life. You don't have anyone else that can run one of five different plays in a playoff game. So you don't have to constantly run the ball and essentially throw the game and the season away. That just seems preposterous to me. And now this season, uh, we're still seeing guys like Mr. Josh Dobbs, who's traded and only on the Vikings for a couple days, being able to step up and win a football game. So it's just a mess right now behind quarterbacks um, at the starting position, the backup quarterbacks, sometimes even the starting quarterbacks, um, just seems to be a real hodgepodge and a mess right now as to how to win with them, how to roster them properly, how to deal with injuries, what to do with the depth, whether to roster a veteran, Brian Hoyer still hanging around, whether to trust a young guy to step in uh, that you want to develop to try and win a game. It's just all over the place, and it doesn't seem to be a lot of consistency on how to properly roster when someone gets hurt, which seems to be more and more guaranteed every single season. Of course, Craig training camps cut about a little bit uh, shorter uh, in the last CBA and uh, one less preseason game. Uh, it's been said that possibly that hurts offensive line play. It also seems like offensive line play has not been as effective recently as well. And of course, the reasons I noted earlier, moving out of the pocket a little bit more and um, you know, just maybe a few other freak things here and there. But um, it just doesn't seem to make real logical sense why quarterbacks are being knocked out more and more often. And of course, when you add in some of the rotations, um, benchings, um, and things like knowing you're going to start a rookie quarterback, but choosing to start a veteran for a couple games first, it's just really doing a lot of zany things um, to the rostering of quarterbacks and providing consistent quarterback play for teams. CJ Stroud starting for the Houston Texans was the right thing to do this season. Starting Bryce Young for the Panthers was the right thing to do this season. The Colts started Anthony Richardson as well. Will Levis was a second round pick, but the first one in the second round and did not start for the Titans, obviously. Perhaps that'll be reevaluated in the future and teams will start to look at just starting the rookies right away. But as far as what the quarterback position looks like moving forward, as far as making sure there's competent guys on the field each Sunday, I'm not sure exactly how you solve this problem. 
perhaps just making sure you have three reliable quarterbacks there, having one on the practice squad, just moving the um, positions around. You have the availability and um, making sure that you have three guys that you can play. Certainly going into the playoffs at any given time, it seems like you should have be able to have a veteran and a young guy in the wings behind your starting quarterback if he isn't already a young guy in development already. It seems like this is a problem that has pretty clear solutions written on the wall, but there's pretty poor team management as far as roster allotment and how to keep these guys um at least a competent quarterback available week to week, even if they aren't able to take reps. We're seeing guys win without taking reps or even knowing kids' names right now. So it just seems like you'd be able to roster three quarterbacks and be able to make the numbers work on your roster to keep bodies at the most important position in football. Looking at the quarterbacks right now, at least the starters at a quick glance in the league, because we could see a big turnover coming up with um, a number of poor performances and switcheroos and changeovers coming up in this upcoming offseason. We, of course, have the Buffalo Bills who should be set with Josh Allen. The Miami Dolphins should be set with Tua at least moving forward. New England will be looking for a new quarterback moving on from Mac. The New York Jets should be set at least for one more season with Aaron Rodgers there. So only one quarterback change probably in the AFC East. The AFC North might be interesting. I still can't believe no one after Lamar Jackson in the offseason. He might be he's a top five quarterback in the league. Possibly. He, he he does some fantastic things with his arms and his legs, and he still doesn't have an A-plus roster around him by any means. Of course, Burrow is great in Cincinnati. Pickett, I would think, is going to at least have one more season with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's got two more on his – he was a second-round pick. He's got another um, couple years on his rookie deal. It would be unfortunate um, if he did not show some improvement moving into next season, but uh, you have to think that if he continues to struggle, that they'll be look to, looking to move on there, especially if things fall apart and they do not make the playoffs in part because of his play. The Cleveland Browns still can't eat Deshaun's Watt, Deshaun Watson's contract yet. If he continues to play poorly, he has a moment here and there of bright spots. This is also a banged up run game, if you remember. And um, I, I just they, they just they just can't get rid of him quite yet. The AFC South, we have a few quarterbacks here in place. We might have all of them. Livis yeah, will probably get some runtime with the Titans. Jacksonville with Lawrence, Colts with Anthony Richardson, and of course C.J. Stroud with the Houston Texans. In the West, we're all set with the Chargers there, the Chiefs. The Raiders will be looking for a new quarterback, presumably, and the Broncos still can't eat Russell Wilson's contract either, and he should be there for at least one more season. So we should have the Pats, the Raiders, both looking for uh, new new uh, quarterbacks there, possibly the Steelers as well. With the Browns and Broncos not able to move on yet at this point, they might end up pretty happy with their quarterbacks by the end of the season. Now, moving on to the NFC, Dallas with Dak is not going to be moving on at them anytime soon. The Giants could be looking for a new quarterback uh, with Daniel Jones. Um, 
with his injuries, the problems there, uh, doesn't really matter what's going on there right now. They could be looking for a reset. The Philadelphia Eagles are good with Hurts, and the Commanders might be ready to move on from Sam Howell, especially if they have a coaching clean-out there. The NFC North, I still hold some light for Justin Fields, but we could see a clean out there as well. Jared Goff is just not going to be the face of the future for the Detroit Lions. Can't see him moving on yet. Of course, with his production and a contract. Um, so we'll, we'll see what uh, the Lions do as far as backing him up. The Packers with Jordan Love are going to be looking for a new quarterback and the Vikings are going to have to find out what to do with Kirk Cousins possibly walking out the front door. The South will be looking for a new quarterback with the Falcons and Desmond Ritter. I have to think that they're not just going to let him play out the rest of this season and go into next year with him as a start. There is no way on this green earth that happens. The Panthers will be holding on to Bryce Young. The Saints, I cannot see them continuing to flounder in mediocrity with their car. If they do manage to make a playoff game, that could be different. You know, they'll hold on to a so-so quarterback with um, uh, the staff and everything they put into place there. The Bucks will be moving on from Baker Mayfield. In the West, we have the Cardinals, who will, we'll say for now, hold on to Kyler Murray, I would I would think. Um, the Rams have to be thinking about other plans post-Matthew Stafford, but he should be the starter, you would think. Heading into next season, the 49ers have to have question marks about Brock Purdy. And Seattle Seahawks have to be have question marks about Geno and possibly moving on from him too, regardless of how he finishes out this season. He's not getting any younger. So we have question marks all up and down. All four starters coming in this year um, with Kyler in mind could be starters next season or all four could be doing something else. Uh, regardless of Geno's new contract and contract situations there for these four West teams, although Stanford will, will probably be around. It's just the point of someone else um, coming in and contending uh, for a starting spot at some point. So there's a number of spots that could be opening up. We're talking Bears, Packers, Commanders, Giants, Falcons, Buccaneers, possibly Saints, possibly... Niners, although you're going to have a starter there, I would think, until they find an upgrade. Um, you could see the um, Raiders and the uh, Patriots as well. And of course, a few more of those spots could pop up. So we could see about a third plus of the league with open quarterback positions. Again, some guys could be playing musical chairs like Kyler Murray going to the Giants or something like that. We could have some fun quarterback shenanigans again this upcoming offseason. And again, with how many quarterbacks we're seeing playing, it'd be nice if teams could figure out how to use the roster spots effectively to have enough quarterbacks in place in the backup spots who know what they're doing moving forward. So a few quick notes on the NBA to start the season. I have the Boston Celtics over the Nuggets to win the NBA championship. The Celtics, despite losing Robert Williams and Marcus Smart, look to be just like a dominating team. Jason Tatum is fifth in the league in scoring. Um, the rest of this roster is, is great. Uh, Drew Holiday was probably the 
might be the biggest addition overall uh, after all these moves in the entire league. Of course, Al Horford will be leaning down a little bit more for his big man minutes. Hopefully, Christoph Porzingis will stay healthy, but he's been a nice addition. Peyton Pritchard, of course, will be getting uh, has getting more more time here. Uh, this is just uh, a powerhouse team, and if you're picking one to to one over on the Nuggets who continue to roll through teams. Uh, this obviously looks like the squad at five and one so far. Celtics are five and one. Sixers are five and one. Nuggets are seven and one. Dallas is uh, six and one, surprisingly, as some of the top teams in the league right now. And I had the Celtics managing to, to beat the Nuggets in the finals as my top pick. 76ers finally moving off of um, James Harden after all the back and forth there and telling him not to show up to the very first game. Thank goodness he is gone. They can clear out and uh, work with Embiid and Maxi. I'm not sure where exactly that places them by the end of the year, but right now they have a plus 13.2 point differentiation which is second in the league, only to the Boston Celtics, and they're 5-1. and one. We'll see what they can continue to do moving forward. Um, I don't know what Damian Lillard is going to be able to accomplish with the Milwaukee Bucks. The defense is struggling big time. I just don't know um, what they're going to be able to do in the playoffs. We've seen players that can't score or players that can't play defense like Damian Lillard. He played right off the floor. He's had some great games scoring, going back and forth with um, Giannis to close out games, but that seems like a huge problem and not a championship team. He just doesn't seem like he can win with his poor defense and being one of the core guys, which he would be with his uh, great scoring ability. But that's no surprise to anyone who's been watching the NBA for an extended period of his career, obviously. Going to the Los Angeles Clippers, I think the quartet is together for the first time as I'm recording this tonight with Russell Westbrook, James Harden, a healthy Kawhi and Paul George at the moment. We'll see how that team is able to produce together, but there's still only one ball on the court, and I don't know what some of these guys are doing off ball. Um, Kawhi Leonard isn't quite the same, um, but he's lost a step. I'm just not sure what this team is able to accomplish. I had them power ranked down at the number, I think, 13th spot in the West. Overall, I had them ranked as the number 10 team in the West, 18th overall. No idea. Uh, they could certainly make the playoffs, make the play in at least and make the playoffs. Um, just need to be a healthy team. Never, never sure what you're going to get here. Zion Williams is finally uh, back and hopefully we'll be playing a full season with the New Orleans Pelicans. That would sure be great, wouldn't it? A roster just waiting for uh, what could be a key guy to come in. Still needs to work on his defense. Obviously, that has been almost non-existent, but they are four and three so far to start the season, and he is averaging uh, a very solid 22.2 points per game on 31 minutes played to lead the squad so far. Of course, bad news that CJ McCollum has a lung issue and may miss um, a, a large chunk of time, which is terribly unfortunate, would do a real blow to the team. Um, Zion, CJ, and Brendan Ingram, of course, all averaging 20-plus points so far for the team this season. And CJ now out. Leading scorer in the league is the uh, offensive powerhouse known as Luka Doncic. Of course, the hope last year was adding Kyrie Irving to the team would allow 
some uh, weight off his shoulders on the offensive end. Maybe he'd be able to work on his defense a little bit. Not sure what was going to happen there. Kyrie comes back in the offseason because what else are you going to do? There's no way to really fill the void. Um, Luca's averaging 32 points per game. Donovan Mitchell slipped into first place now at 32.5 points per game. Aaron Fox is third at 31.3, and Curry's averaging just over 30, and then Tatum's in, in fifth as well. Paluca is leading the way in just torching people. Uh, we'll see if they start at a rookie center. Derek Lively, the draft pick there. And a couple rookies in the starting rotation right now for the Dallas Mavericks. And currently the fourth best record in the NBA. Can they hang in and make the playoffs? The Lakers and Suns are struggling a bit early. Suns at three and four. Two losses already to the uh, San Antonio Spurs. And uh, just a couple guys sitting out already, having to figure out the rotation might be thin at the center position. The Lakers stated that uh, LeBron James would take shortened games, you know, take a, a minute restriction essentially during games this year. And he's had to play more minutes than anyone through the first few games already. And um, we'll have to see how the rotation fills out. They added a whole bunch of guys in the offseason. We'll have to see what Seven will truly make up their rotation. Of course, D'Angelo Russell ended up getting extension after not being traded. We have Austin Reeves in there. We have Cam uh, Reddish in the mix. We have Jackson Hayes in the mix. And we have uh, just a whole bunch of pieces that need to find homes there in the rotation. And right now it's the two main guys still playing way too many minutes and brought to a losing record so far this season by the same token. Kevin Durant had to drop 41 points the other night for a big Phoenix win. This guy's already missing games on that particular um, roster. We see that uh, only two games played for Booker, and Beal hasn't played a regular season game yet due to a back injury, so we've seen really nothing from the Suns at all yet. How about Victor Wenyama? Isn't he fantastic? Blocking threes, stealing inbound passes from Kawhi Leonard, who doesn't know any better. He has been fantastic. He makes the Spurs team great to watch. I put them on my top 10 list of uh, most watchable you know, NBA league pass teams, if you will. And um, he single-handedly changes the dimensions while he's on the court on the offensive and defensive side of what this team's able to do. He's playing 30 minutes a game. He leads them in scoring with 20.5 points per game, 8.2 boards, 2 assists, 1.3 steals, 2.7 blocks, almost 4 turnovers a game though, only 2.5 personal fouls though, he's limiting that aspect of it, and he's just an impact player. Uh, just almost can't miss television, quite frankly, with big wins already again over the Suns, even though uh, they've been a little banged up. Other thing of note is the Grizzlies finally picked up a win the other night. They are 1-6 now at this particular point. And as I noted, um, Jazz sitting out 30 games or 25 games had to make a difference. Losing Steven Adams for the season had to make a difference. Losing Dylan Brooks had to make a difference. Tyrese Jones... Tyrus Jones leaving had to make a difference. Um, just adding Marcus Smart um, and Derek Rose didn't necessarily make this just a better team. You know, uh, you have uh, De Desmond Bain coming back from Achilles injury. Uh, th all that stuff had to matter. It 
just had to matter. Jaron Jackson Jr.'s foul problems didn't just solve themselves overnight. Like, all this stuff had to matter. This team wasn't just going to be a powerhouse again. Even the draft pick, Gigi Jackson, has real problems. Wasn't even sure he was going to make the roster. Um, excuse me, Brandon Clark's coming back from a Achilles injury. Hard to keep track with all the problems. Um, so it's surprising that they started 0-6, but not surprising that they're going to to struggle, at least until Ja, uh, a more foundational talent, gets back to this basketball team. Also, the play-in tournament. Um, they haven't found an easier way to explain it yet. Uh, of course, the rounds were made on uh, Bones Highland, saying that he doesn't even know what he's playing for in a press conference or what the hell's going on. Understandable. The courts uh, are a little much, even though it's fun to, to to show the different colors and all that. I do like the different jerseys, although that's they're kind of wild as well. And I think some of them were were worn on non-related uh, tournament counting days. So it's nice that they have that. You can count them on certain days of the week, those games, and what they're ultimately headed towards. We're also like less than 10 games into the season, and we're doing this build-up to the midseason tournament. And it seems like it still could be pushed off a little bit more towards the back end of football and NFL season. And I realize All-Star Weekend's in the mix, and then we have to worry about the back end of the season and playoff push and all that. It just seems too soon and still still too confusing and the the courts are too much and I don't know if the jerseys are being worn at the right times and I'm just not sure what's going on with all of that yet uh, it just seems like it should be a nice tidy month-long event every Tuesday and Friday during the month of January and then we do the the mid-season championship at the beginning of February before Valentine's Day right doesn't that make more sense I think that makes more sense. Anyways, um, I think it'll be fun to keep track of. I was excited for it, but now I'm losing track already. Um, but excited to watch more of the NBA season here now as some of these teams start to fall off the radar in the college football landscape and NFL, and you're keeping track of less teams and stuff as, as teams kind of fall off and picking up into the basketball season. Speaking of which, the college basketball season starts... Monday the 7th, and there's a lot of garbage games going on. It's unfortunate that a lot of the big schools do not play um, big teams. There are tournaments, all these weird tournaments that you can't keep track of in the Bahamas, in Las Vegas, in Puerto Rico, in Florida, in Cuba, I don't know, all over the place that run um, now uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, um, that contain some of the better games, quite frankly, but they also kind of sneak up on you. Um, so this week, there's not a whole lot going on. Um, I will tell you, as I'm recording this, of course, uh, some games will have already passed. Most notably, Michigan State was just dropped 79 to 76 in overtime to James Madison. They shot horrifically from the three-point line. Let me get the numbers here as this just went final. They were one for 20 from three. James Madison was eight for 29, not much better, but that was the difference there. 
Also, um, as we know, turnovers are a problem in the uh, Michigan State program. They uh, didn't have quite that issue here. James Madison had, had a few more turnovers. Um, the rebounding numbers were close, though. The turnovers was a, a couple difference. Um, and the three-point free throw shooting was awful. 62% for the Spartans for 75% for James Madison. So kind of comparable in a couple areas. Still too, too, too many turnovers against a, a team of this caliber. Low um, free throw percentage and just un, unbelievable three-point percentage. This shouldn't ever happen again. But a big win for James Madison. Undefeated in football and basketball. Might be the only only team to hold that um, credit right now. And Michigan State goes down early. No one else has struggled or probably will. The only big game left that's going on right now is actually a tournament in Las Vegas. The Hall of Fame series on TNT. That's number 21 USC hosting Kansas State. It looks like USC is going to comfortably hang on there. There is no Bronny James Jr. hanging on, uh, playing in that game uh, due to his uh, recent health health issues. He's TBD on playing um, this season. But the star for the USC Trojans is freshman guard Isaiah Collier, who has 18 points, 7 for 9 from the field, 6 assists. He did have 6 turnovers as well and 5 personal fouls. But 18, 6, and 3 rebounds as well. He's the superstar freshman to keep an eye on. He also had 24 from the senior Ellis, 7 for 14 from the field. A superstar there for the USC Trojans, hoping to make an impact in a very loaded Pac-12 schedule. Tuesday's biggest game is ESPN's 9 o'clock Eastern time. Number 20, Baylor hosting Auburn with Baylor. Just a one and a half point favorite in that one. A nice matchup between two power five matchups, but not a lot on the slates other than that on Tuesday. Wednesday late again will bring us Mississippi State hosting Arizona State. Two teams not expected to be uh, NCAA tournament teams this year, but another Power 5 matchup there. Thursday, we'll ironically get Michigan State again hosting Southern Indiana on the Big Ten Network, but not a lot of big games on Thursday either. Friday brings us a couple good games, of course, as the um, NFL doesn't have anything going on. College football is a little light. We'll have NBA games, but Friday will bring us a few matchups. Notably, number two, Duke will be hosting number 12, Arizona at seven o'clock on ESPN2. A big game, Duke bringing in a number of top recruits in Arizona, also having a solid cast as well. That's a Durham indoor, not a neutral site game, a big powerhouse fight right there ESPN 2 7 o'clock on Friday also at 7 on ESPN plus number 13 Miami will be hosting Central Florida remember this um, is a now a power five matchup as well Ohio State will be on Peacock at 7 o'clock hosting number 15 Texas A&M as the SEC is going to be a battle between a handful of teams this year the Aggies one of them will also get 
a very interesting Maryland team hosting Davidson at 7 o'clock on ESPNU, that same 7 o'clock window. The SEC Network at 7 will have Georgia hosting Wake Forest, another couple Power 5 teams there. Furman and Belmont will be on ESPN Plus at 7 o'clock, a couple non-Power 5 teams that have been um, interested in attending the Big Dance in recent years. Also get Virginia hosting Florida. I almost combined them there for for, for Florida, Virginia hosting Florida on the ACC network also at seven o'clock at eight thirty on the big 10 network. We'll have Northwestern hosting Dayton, who's expected to win the Atlantic 10 by a lot of parties. Nine o'clock Peacock will have Wisconsin hosting number nine, Tennessee and a big battle right there. BYU will be hosting number 17, San Diego state at nine o'clock on the big 12 network. And Missouri will be hosting Memphis at 9 o'clock on the SEC Network. Virginia Tech hosting South Carolina at 9.30 on the ACC Network. So we're going to have a whole plethora of good basketball games there. Highlighted at 7 o'clock by Duke in Arizona. That's all this upcoming Friday. So you will have real meaningful games there. Now, Saturday's a little light again, college bat, or college football territory, so we don't have many big games on the, on the slate at all. I can't actually identify um, one that you'd be prioritizing here over some of the college football games, but Friday is where some of the action is. Sunday will be light as well, and I do want to touch briefly on next Monday the 13th. There's only two uh, bigger kind of games going on, and one of them is going to be Michigan at St. John's on FS1 at 6.30. Big only because Rick Patino is back in college basketball, and he's pulling the Colorado football of college basketball at St. John's. They're pulling in a number of different transfers and rebuilding the St. John's program there. Again, in similar stance, he's not necessarily expected to make the Big Ten tournament this year, but pulling in a number of different bodies and just rebuilding that program. And uh, they'll be hosting Michigan, who in their own right will be fighting to make it to the top half of the Big Ten this year. But that is on FS1, just worth noting there. And then at the uh, back end of that, we will have Purdue hosting Xavier at 8.30 on FS1 for their first big test of the season. A little um, Indiana battle there, Purdue and Xavier next Monday. So keep your eyes open for big college football. Oh my goodness. Big college basketball games this upcoming Friday. Duke and Arizona, the highlight. And keep an eye on the scoreboard for any interesting upset throughout the week as well, because we are underway. I don't have my rankings quite solidified yet. No point really in putting a top 25 together for college basketball quite yet. I don't have um, all my spots quite figured out now. My illness kind of took um, took everything out of me as I was trying to uh, put my thoughts together on it. So I'm actually just going to put out my predictions after this first week or two uh, are in. And the first couple handfuls of games are done and everyone's played. Maybe if we're lucky, one meaningful game that we've learned something. And then I will have my not preseason predictions, but um, one one to two weekend predictions. And I bet you they'll be just as wrong as if I'd picked them before any games had tipped off. Thank you for listening to the Michael Walsh podcast today. A few thoughts on everything 
I apologize that I was out with my illness or if I'm a little foggy in this podcast. But I appreciate it. And I'll talk with you later. Bye-bye. All my blessings. 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 I need my blessings every penny. Daily counting every single